God. All I can think is 5,810 people. That's all I can think. Oh. I'd like to thank the, uh, the committee for asking me to come here and talk. It's always an honor and a privilege to be involved in anything that has to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I want to thank John for coming to the airport and picking us up. Larry and Judy for driving us around, showing us around, giving me a little of the local culture, a little of the language. <laughs> we had a little lunch. Had the walleye. You betcha. You betcha. They said something. There was some other thing they told me had the word oofte in it, but I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to take a shot at that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, geez, I got the number right up here. I'm turning that over. Turn it. It's weird, man. It's weird to be up here looking at it. I'm on, I'm on TV. <laughs> You know, what the hell is that? You're sitting in your room watching the meeting. How you doing? <laughs> if you have a desire to stop drinking, come on down. We're in. <laughs> Anyway, do this like I drank. I'll just go right through the, right down the middle of this deal. That's what I'll do. I, uh, um, I didn't start drinking until I was 12 years old. And, and that was because nobody offered me a drink till I was 12. I, would, I think I was restless, irritable, and discontented a lot sooner than that. It just, I'd been shipped off to boarding school. What happened was is that... Uh, They'd, given, they'd taken a bunch, done a bunch of tests. I took a bunch of tests. It turned out that I had this real high IQ. I don't anymore, but I did. <laughs> Made short order of that. But I, uh, um, God. I, uh, they decided I should go to this boarding school, and nobody told me about it. I mean, I was like 12 years old, 104 pounds, you know, five feet tall. You know, no tools for living. I had, you know, who needs them when you're that age? You know, they say go to school, you go to school. They ask you questions, you answer them, you go home, play with the dog. They say eat, you eat, study, you study, go to bed, go to bed, get up, get up. I mean, it was pretty easy, you know what I mean? You just listen and it happens. And I, uh, we got in the car one day and we drove off to this school and uh, drove and drove and drove and we all got there and we got, I got out of the car and my father got out of the car and he put a suitcase down next to me and he said, uh, this will make a man out of you. And shook my hand, everybody got in the car and drove off. <laughs> flipped me out. I had no idea what was going on, why this was happening. The fact was I was being given an opportunity for a wonderful education. The feeling was, was that I'd just been thrown away and I had no idea why. Um, I knew I was the problem and I, all I remember feeling was complete terror. That's all I felt. Not unlike tonight. It was... <laughs> the... Uh, Hi. <laughs> uh, I 
Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I got to get a grip on this. I, uh, so I went off to school, and uh, no tools for living, and I'm walking around trying not to make eye contact with anybody. It turns out I'm the youngest and the smallest kid of 250 young boys from all over the world. They scoured the earth to find 250 of the most disturbed young men they could find. They put them in this campus, and we were all just trying to find our way. And I was the little guy, you know, and... Um, I met Tiny. Every high school's got a guy named Tiny, and uh, well, he met me. I didn't meet him. And he came up and he said, how you doing, punk? And he slapped me in the back of the head, sent my books flying, and I had this, like, out-of-body experience. Um, you know, where you watch yourself doing something um, and while your head's going, no, it's a very bad idea. Don't. And I walked up and I hit him as hard as I could and then just stood there. And he looked down at me and said, you got a lot of guts, kid, and then he beat the crap out of me right on the spot. <laughs> And I remember as I'm taking this beating, I'm thinking, this is going pretty good. <laughs> this is not bad. Because uh, he had said to me, you got a lot of guts. Now, the fact was that I was absolutely terrified of this guy. And by hitting him, I'd masked the fear. My first tool for living, violence works. If you don't want people to know how frightened you are, attack them. <laughs> And so I did. And word spread across the campus, you know, in like 30 minutes, watch out for this little Hightower kid. He's a maniac. He attacked Tiny. <laughs> so now I got a reputation that's got absolutely nothing to do with who I am or, or how I'm feeling or what's going on with me in my life at all. It's just the hole's getting deeper as far as I can tell. But that brought the cool guys around. They thought, we've got to hook up with this little Hightower guy. So they, they came over and they said, uh, you want to smoke a joint? And I said, well, Yeah. And I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. I had no idea what they were talking about. I just, all I heard was, do you want to come with us? And the answer was, yeah, I want to come with you. It doesn't matter what you're, where you're going or what you're doing or who you are or anything, man. I've just been launched out into the universe by myself, and i got to hook up. They could have said, you know, listen, we're going to go kill the Spanish teacher. Do you want to come? And I said, yeah, <laughs> let's go. I'm taking French. I'll go kill the Spanish teacher. So anyway, uh, we went, we went, me and Matt, a guy named Matt, we picked up Steve and we went behind the dorm and, and uh, Matt lit this joint and I just handed it to me and I just did what he did and Steve had a Tupperware container full of cheap red wine. I mean, there wasn't a grape within a thousand miles of where they made this stuff, you know what I mean? It was that, that got a punch to it, right? And he took a pull on the wine and I took a pull on the wine and we got this going I'm just standing here looking at these two guys, you know, and... It happened. It happened. The secret to life was revealed to me. This warm feeling went down into me and just kind of wafted back up over me. And I felt, for the first time, I felt comfortable standing where I was standing, doing what I was doing with the people I was doing it with. I'd never felt that before. It was the most incredible feeling I ever felt in my life. They say there's this line that we cross. Well, there, I crossed it right there. This, and I mean, I got drunk with these guys and... I mean, I didn't know if it was the pot, the wine, my two best friends, Matt and Steve, you know, that I'd known for 15 minutes. I didn't know what it was. All I knew was that I need to do this as often as I possibly can. And why not? I mean, there were no repercussions. There was no downside to this. I drank this stuff. I smoked this stuff. I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life. 
Got a little sick, woke up the next morning, was fine. There was no evidence here that this was a bad thing to do. I'm doing it. And I did every day for the next 16 years, no matter what. And I was given a lot of good reasons to stop along the way, and I just blew right, and it didn't even slow me down, man. I just blew right by everything. Because I was chasing the most wonderful thing I'd ever experienced in my life. Peace. Contentment. And that's, so those are the humble beginnings for me. I mean, it was no big, hellacious deal, you know. The next year, a guy came up to me, and uh, I was 13, a guy came up to me and said, uh, you want a couple of these pills? And I said, well, yeah. You know, took them, you know, drinking beer with the guys. About 20 minutes later, I was laying on the floor, and I was very comfortable down there. I was... <laughs> You know, I gotta ask what those were. You know, so I mean, ask for them by name. You know what I mean? It was, and I talk about drugs in my story briefly, and the reason that I do is because I'm a child of the '60s. That's what we were focused on. Our parents were the alcoholics, and we weren't. You know, we weren't gonna live our life. We were gonna carve out a whole new way to kill ourselves. You know what I mean? We were gonna <laughs> drink ourselves to death like our parents. You know, fact is. Fact is, um, the truth of the matter is for me that. Uh, Whatever was on that table would come and go and come and go. There was only one thing from the beginning that was always on that table, no matter what else was going on, and it was booze. There was always a bottle on the table. Everything else would come and go. And I think the explanation for that is very simple as far as I'm concerned, and that is, is that booze is reliable and drugs are not. Booze is reliable. You, you, you go to your dealer and get your cocaine, and when was the last time the cocaine connection said to you, you know what, it's not really that good tonight. Come back tomorrow, we'll have something a little better for you. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. You go get yourself, you don't know what you got. You get that LSD, you, know, you don't know what you got. The pot, the what, the pills, whatever. You have no idea what you got. You find out what you've got once it's in you and it's too late to make any more decisions about it. That's it. You go get yourself a quarter of Jack Daniels, you know what you got. You go get yourself the fifth of gin, you know what you got. It's reliable. You can count on it. You do so much cocaine, you can't get your mouth open anymore. <laughs> you get that fifth of Jack Daniels out and suck a, little, suck, a, suck a little Jack down between your teeth, you'll be all right. You shake that off and go right back to the party. Not enough heroin to get you through the night? Don't worry about it. Court of Gin will get you there. That play, heart and lungs are working. Nothing else going on. That lovely, dark, quiet place where everything is just fine. So anyway, it was pills, and then it was 14 with psychedelics. I took some psychedelics. A girl said to me, uh, would you like to take some acid? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> no idea. I was on a 10-hour pass in the school. I was, she was the older woman, you know. She's 15 and a half. <laughs> you know? Bad girl. I was, I was really impressed with her. And she spun this, uh, took this lipstick tube and spun it up, and there was a little tiny pill on the end of it, and I just took it up and popped it in my mouth. Chased it down with some alcohol. She said, uh, do you take that whole thing? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, you know, it was a little tiny thing. Let me see these horse caps, you know, I mean, you know, that was three hits of white lightning. Uh, you know, wow, a little identification out there. Oh, <laughs> it was like an old, it was like the wave. It just kind of went that way. Down the... It was, uh, Let's just say the next two days were real interesting. I, I, uh, 
Oh, man. We went to the market, the supermarket. We decided we were going to be married people. So we were married people, and we got a shopping cart, and we're tripping down the aisle at the market. <laughs> you know, and I looked at her, and I said, do we have children? <laughs> she said, yes, we do. And I said, well, then we're going to need these diapers right here. That's about where I blacked out. I, had, I don't remember much about that. I do, to this day, though, going to the supermarket takes a real commitment on my part. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a weird places, if you ask me. I mean, those lights, those fluorescent lights and those aisles and everything, little rows of everything. And, and there's so many decisions to make in a supermarket. It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Am I going to have the cream corn, the canned corn? I'm going to have, there's a Mexican thing, and I got a white corn. Somewhere over there is corn on the cob. I'm coming back tomorrow. I can't do this. There's way too much going on. <laughs> I mean, you've seen the abandoned cart in the supermarkets, right? I, I identify with that guy, you know? I just give that knowing nod every time I see one of those. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know how that is. Fifteen, you know, I'm drinking along, drinking, drinking, drinking. And another place, a girl walked up to me and said, how'd you like me to stick this in your body? And I said, well, all right. <laughs> she jabbed that needle into me, and I, I just did one of these. Just <laughs> and I just remember on the way down thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll work. If I live through this, i got to find out what that is. <laughs> And I, <laughs> man, I dropped out of high school about then. I got to speed up and get sober. I mean, I was just, I was flailing around out there going crazy. I dropped out of high school. My father came back into my life, said, you've obviously gone insane, committed me to my first mental institution. They took me for three months of observation and a year of rehabilitation, and I'm shuffling around in this hospital, three cups of pills a day and a little shot if you act it out, you know. So every day all we did was sit around figuring out a new way to act out so we could get the shot, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just shuffling around in the hospital and they were coming into my little room with no doorknob, you know what I mean, and sitting there with me. I'm sitting there in my little outfit with no pants, you know, with no uh, belt and no shoelaces. They're like, amazing. The place was amazing. They come in and say, how are you feeling? <laughs> now what I know, I've been wasted since I was 12 years old, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're the doctor, you know? Do something. God. And I, I was in there for a few weeks, and I used to have all my meals with this girl named Kilday. Kilday was the person who made a conscious decision to go nuts and was really animated. So she was lots of fun at every meal. Every meal was like dinner on a show, you know what I mean? You sat and Kilday just spazzed at the table, you know? And it was kind of broke up the monotony. And I decided I was going to escape. They got them here. They got the exit signs. They were green in the place I was in. Those little lit up exit signs. And I noticed it when I thought, that's it. That's all I want to do. I want to exit. It just boiled it down to one word for me. And I decided to bust out of this joint. I've been in there for weeks just shuffling around the halls. And I sit at the table with Kilday, and she's just spazzing about something. And I said, all right, I'm going to go. Ready? Ready? Go! And I was hauling ass, you know what I mean? That was all I had. <laughs> that was the whole deal right there. Arms are working. I mean, I'm working. And I realized this isn't working out, you know? And you hear over the loudspeaker from the nurse's station, you hear, uh, Ed, when you got a minute, you want to grab her, or he's making a break for the door. 
You know, Ed's over there having a sandwich going, yeah, yeah, I'll get him in a minute. I'm working away, going through the door. Tools for living. I mean, at that point in my life, my tools for living are drugs, alcohol, violence, and run. And now I realize if you're going to get thrown in the nut house, you've got to get out before they get the Thorazine in you, because if you don't, you leave when they say. So the next time I got thrown in the nut house, I escaped the first day. And I blasted out of this place, and I'm hauling across this yard, and there's whistles going off and stuff. There's a guy right on my tail chasing me, for the, at, right going for the fence. And all I, I mean, at that point in my life, I'm like 17 years old. I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, high school dropout. Hopefully at any moment an escaped mental patient. That's, like, <laughs> that's my resume. That's what I had to say for myself. But all I'm thinking is, you know what, if I make that fence, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem if I make that fence because I'll be drunk in 20 minutes. And that's all that matters. Because, see, I drink no matter what. I mean, my neck of the woods, I got this weird little thing where they tell newcomers, just don't drink. Just don't drink no matter what. And I mean, that somehow misses the point for a guy like me. You know what I mean? Because I'm the opposite of that. I drink no matter what. You can't tell me, just don't drink no matter what. I'm like, great, thanks. I feel a lot better now. That's going to be very useful when I hit the, the craving I got going on when I hit that street again. It's like saying, just say no to me. It misses it completely. I'm the flip side of that deal. And uh, I hit the streets. I spent three years out there doing crazy things. Crazy things. Um, because I was real clear of purpose. I get, I gotta get drunk. I gotta stay loaded, no matter what's what's going on, no matter what. And I'll do whatever's necessary. Slowly but surely, any morals I had, any ethics I had, any lines that I had drawn that I said I would not cross, I crossed. All of them. When I was 20 years old, they, they diagnosed me to have. I was living up in Northern California. I'd gotten into college. It's a long story. <laughs> I was, uh, I'd become a drug dealer and I was living in Northern California. I was going to business college and I was studying marketing and production and distribution and I was applying it to my business. <laughs> college was great. And they diagnosed me to have malignant cancer and they flew me back to LA and did major surgery on my back and told me I was going to die and told my parents to get ready for the worst. And, and I just remember thinking, I, they don't even know who they're talking to. And I just said, you know, fine, whatever. They did the surgery, and they put me in the nuclear medicine thing. They're doing the hitting me with that radioactive stuff, and I, uh, I hated it. You know what I mean? I wasn't getting a buzz off this at all. So <laughs> I quit. I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I went back to my house, and I got loaded the way I get loaded, um, which at that point was nuts. And I beat the cancer thing. That was 22 years ago. And uh, I'm thoroughly convinced at this point in my life that at that point I was using so heavily that cancer could not live in my body. <laughs> I'd become more toxic than the disease itself. I just... It's a testimony to what the human body can stand up to. You know what I mean? It was just horrible what I was doing. Um, I went on for a couple more years using like that and... Uh, my mother called me from L.A. and said, look, we haven't been anywhere as a family in 10 years. And I said, you know, yeah, that's not my fault. You know, you threw me away. I don't know what you're coming to me for. I mean, you can just, I could just, when I look back on that and I put myself back to where when I was like that, I can feel the resentment and the anger and the hurt and the judgment that was all mine towards them. Um, and uh, the fact was is that I'd gotten an early acceptance to go to, to law school. 
And uh, the truth of my life was, was that I, 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 my father was my hero. He was, uh, my father was a, a, a mean son of a bitch, <laughs> what he was. But I loved him. I didn't know that until I was sober, but I loved him. And he was an attorney. And ever since I'd left that house when I was 12 years old, I was trying to become something that I thought he'd respect. He was an attorney. I was going to law school. I was going to become his equal. That way he'd have to respect me and take me back into the family. All this stuff spinning around in my head that had nothing to do with reality. Um, and she, my mother got on the phone and said, we haven't been anywhere as a family in 10 years. Started crying. Said, look, your birthday's coming. Go anywhere you want to go. Let's just go as a family. I said, fine. So I flew back to L.A. And on my 22nd birthday, we took off to fly to... Guadalajara, and on the way there, the plane crashed. And my mother, my father, my little sister were all killed, and I wasn't. And I woke up on a mountain in Mexico, and my uh, back was broken in three places, my skull was fractured. Uh, I was paralyzed from the waist down, and I had a lot of internal injury. The only thing I could move was my right arm. And I was awake. And I laid there, and I watched them all bleed to death right in front of me. And I pretty much quit the game right there. I mean, my life had been kind of like a Hollywood set anyway. I'd always been afraid of you. I didn't understand you. I'd, never, I'd always been the guy who walked into a room and, and my insides never could match up to your outsides. And I, I was always the, the odd man out. And, and I, I never felt like I belonged to fit in. And everything I had going on in my life was just a facade that I, had, I could put up and say, look, I'm doing these things so that you let me go on drinking and using the way I was. And I, I remember just laying on that mountain watching that and thinking, I quit. I had no interest in a God that would uh, keep a lying, cheating, thieving, dope fiend alcoholic like me on the planet and take somebody like my little sister who was just a very kind, creative, artistic, gentle human being. Um, and I just, I quit. And then uh, a few hours later, some guys came up to the plane site and they scavenged a wreck and took my wallet out of my pocket and took the money out of my wallet laid my wallet back down and left me up on the mountain to die. I had no more use for you anymore either. I was out of it. I had no interest in a God and I had no interest in anything you had to say or do. I was out of the gang. And uh, I was so angry. I just, I just kept banging myself in the side with my arm. It hurt so much because my back was broken and it, the pain kept me up out of the shock. And I stayed alive until I got me out. The Some other guys came up eventually, and they took me down to a, um, a medical station, and then they tagged my toe and waited for me to die. Um, and I didn't. So they finally took me to a hospital, and I stayed there for a few days. They wouldn't give me anything for pain. They had federalis in my room. They were interrogating me. And eventually they plastered me from the neck down and threw me on a plane and shipped me back to the States. And I got back here very angry young alcoholic. I was 22 years old. I'd been drinking and using hammer and tong for 10 years already, I, uh, uh, to the exclusion of everything else in my life. Um, they put me on Demerol, maximum doses of Demerol, every three hours around the clock for weeks. And uh, I finally got a, custom, I got a guy came in and made me a brace, and I got a cane, and they told me I'd have a withered left hand, and I'd probably be blind in my left eye, and I might not walk again. And a few weeks later, I, I hobbled on out of there with my cane and my brace, and weighing 128 pounds, and, and uh, strung out on Demerol, and out of my mind. And I got the, I got a lot of money from the plane crash, and uh, um, from the insurance on the plane, and uh, I went on my last run, and it lasted for four and a half years, and uh, it was a run. 
it was a run. I drew sober breaths on four different occasions during that four and a half years. They were 72 hours each, and I was strapped to a table for all 72 hours. Um, that was the only way you could keep me from drinking, was to strap me to a table. And I'd lay there kicking like a dog, uh, reintroducing myself to God and saying, you know what I mean, if you get me through this alive and sane, I'll never, ever, ever, ever drink again. I can't take it anymore. I just beat myself to death. And I'd make it, and I, as I'd leave, they'd say to me, now you'd be a good boy and don't drink. And I'd say, no, ma'am, and I'm kicked. And I'd be drunk that night. Because I don't know about, see, for me, this isn't about stopping. It's about not starting again. I've stopped a thousand times, a thousand times. But I, don't, I didn't know how to not start again. I didn't know. I knew I, was, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I was a drug addict. I knew that. But I didn't, know what, I didn't have any idea what that meant. I had no idea what was going on there, the, the forces within me that were driving me to take that next drink. The last four and a half years, um, drugs were irrelevant as far as I was concerned. Booze was the only thing that worked for me, and the reason it worked, it was the only place that could take me to that heart and lungs place. It was the only thing that could make the nightmares go away. I was reliving the plane crash in my dreams all the time right after the hit, and I'd come off that bed a complete crazy person and go on another run. Blackouts were the normal fare. I was blacking out all the time. I've been stabbed twice, shot at, guns to the head. I've been, I was a very, very violent drunk, not because I'm a tough guy, or a bad guy, but because I'm a very frightened individual. That's all. That's all that is. I've got 700 stitches in me. I've broken 75 bones. I've, you know what I mean? I've come out of blackouts in some of the strangest places you can imagine. Uh, when Coenga was talking earlier, I was listening to Coenga, um, an incredible human being. And uh, she was talking about Speedway in Venice and giving me an idea what that was like. And I kind of hung down there. That, I fit right in in that back alley. That's where I was. And uh, I've come out, I remember one night coming out of a blackout and uh, four cops standing there. All four of them very interested in me. You know, and when you have a blackout, you know what I mean? When you've had thousands of them, you know what I mean? You just, you just bang, you know, you're back, you know, and there's four cops and I have no idea what we're talking about, you know, and I, but I've done it enough times to know. Just keep your hands where they can see them and nod. You know, just keep nodding, and eventually somebody will tell you why we're here. You know? I mean, you're all, the only alternative is to say, excuse me, officers, I just got here. <laughs> this little trick I do, I'm here, I'm not here, I'm here, I'm not here. That's not going to go over real well. So you just hang. Uh, I've come to in different cities. I mean, I've done all that stuff. I mean, it's just war story after war story after war story. I mean, everybody's got them. I got them. And I burned it to the ground. I burned it to the ground. Um, came out of my last blackout. We were being evicted because I'd attempted to murder the landlord. Um, I have no memory of, of it at all. No, I remember the guy, but I don't remember trying to kill him. Um, I guess that's not necessary. I remember that. I'm sure he does, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was bright yellow. I'd had two doctors independent of one another telling me that if I didn't stop drinking, I was going to die. Too many direct hits, plane crash, cancer, just all the violence. I was 28 years old. I was 215 pounds. I was yellow. I had hair out like this and a beard out like this. Both my hands were broken. I was psychotic. 
and I don't use the term loosely. I couldn't distinguish between fantasy or reality. I'd come to and I did, I'd think of something and I didn't know, did I do that? Did I think that? Did somebody tell me that? Did I dream it? Did I read it? Did I see it in a movie? I don't know. I didn't know. It was just all this insane blur that was just going by at a, at a, and it was at the speed of it was just increasing. You know, and we were winding it up. Um, and I knew I was dying. And, uh, I didn't want to. I didn't know how to live. I never really had. Um, I didn't want to die. Um, it was the only thing left to do. And I just threw up these two busted paws and I said, help. And this woman took me to an emergency room and they pumped my stomach one more time. And they just laughed at me. I was a pathetic drunk. And they said, get him out of here. He's going to die. And they took me by ambulance to another facility. They kept me five days and I got worse. And they said, get him out of here. And they took me down to Long Beach and put me under the care of a woman by the name of Dr. Vicki Fox, um, who was a piece of work. I mean, we had 42 guys in an old Air Force barracks, um, 21 down one side, 21 down the other, and they'd pull sheets between our beds at night and sleep about an hour a night, maybe. And we all kicked in there. And guys throwing seizures, and this guy over here is introducing you to Mr. Lobster, you know what I mean? And, and you're looking for him, you know? Where is he? <laughs> You know, and we were all just trying not to throw another seizure. You know what I mean? They kept trying to up the anti-seizure medication, and you flip another one, and they give you a little more. And I remember I was sitting in this chair, and I mean, and, and Dr. Fox was this amazing woman. If she walked in the back of this room right now, you'd all turn around and look. I mean, she just has the power and her presence. She did. God bless her. She's gone on. And uh, had a big beehive do with a pencil in it, and wore a chain with, a, with her glasses down here, and always wore a sweater. Had a big bunch of files, always under her arm, and had a cigarette sticking out of the corner of her mouth, right? She smoked it right there. She didn't take it out or anything. She just smoked it right there. <laughs> Ashes all down the sweater and the files. And I'm sitting in that detox, my hand holding on to this chair, trying not to flip right out of the chair. And I'm holding on, and I'm a mess. I'm crazy. I don't know how to do what I'm here to do. I don't know how to do what I know they're going to ask me to do, which is not drink. Don't know how. And I'm sitting there, and she came blasting in the room. We all just froze, right? And out of those 42 guys, she looked over at me. She looked at me and she walked up to me, which, you know, I stopped breathing right there. Just, And she put her hand down and she put her hand on my cheek and she said, Baby, you really do need to be here. And turned around and walked out. And I just sat there and just went, Yeah, yeah, I do. And that was like the first direction I took in my whole life. It was like, basically, it's just like a dog, man. She just said, stay. And I just went, sat right down, man. <laughs> okay. And they said, go left, and I went left, because I was a broken man. I was a broken man. And I stayed in there for another 12 days of detox, and then 30 days with the rehab on a free bed, because I didn't have a dime left. If I'd have had another $100,000, I'd have been dead. And I came out of that hospital, and I knew one thing. I knew nothing about living. I knew nothing about people. I knew nothing about being in the world at all. What I knew was you drink, you die. That's it. That's what I knew. When I got, and through a series of real weird, God-shot kind of circumstances, I ended up in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sitting in the back with my arms folded with my best tough guy look on my face, don't come near me. Wondering what the hell was going on. I did not come here because I wanted what you had. I had no idea what you had. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew I couldn't live with what I had anymore. And they said Alcoholics Anonymous were people like me got sober and stayed that way. 
And I had no reason to doubt him. So I came and I sat in the back. Oh, man. Out of my mind. I mean, it's a testimony to the human skull how much pressure can stay in there. You know what I mean? When you're a new guy in AA. You know what I mean? It should be. You just be up here speaking around every once, every once in a while. A newcomer's head just explodes back there. <laughs> Hit the ground, you know, and they got a special cleanup committee that just runs it over and cleans that up. All the new guys that the sponsors have got up in the front are going, what the hell was that? What the hell was that? You know, shut up. The speaker's up there. <laughs> you could be next. I mean, just back there, my head screaming at me. You know, what am I doing here? I I was the master of noticing the differences between me and you. I didn't notice the similarities. As far as I'm concerned, there were none. You know what I mean? If you're a woman, you don't know about me. You come up doing something else that I've never understood, frankly. You're doing something else. If you're black, you come up with another thing. Hispanic, another thing. Gay, another thing. Five years older than me, five years younger, you come up in another time doing another thing. You don't know about me. I mean, I got so good at that that by the time I got here, I'd circled those wagons so tight. It was just, if you're not Earl, you don't understand me. <laughs> I spot the difference between you and me like that, man. And, and now I don't have to, if I can see the difference, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you. And I sat in the back of that meeting, and an old guy got up. Old dog, 65 years old probably. Those of you who are older, God bless you. It was just the way I was looking at it at the time, okay? <laughs> Got to be very careful up here. <laughs> and he got up and he said his name, which I don't remember. And he said he was from, he'd been a skid row bum, a wino, and an ex-boxer. I just threw up my hands. <laughs> None of those things. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? Boxer. Carry a gun. Get a gun. Boxer. Yeah, I'm 10 and 0. Yeah, you're 10 and 1, pal. <laughs> wine. I didn't drink wine unless there was nothing else to drink. Skid Row, I couldn't, you know what I mean? I'd have gone, I just couldn't find it, you know what I mean? It was like way down there, you know? Skid Row still comforts me. That's a comforting kind of an idea to an alcoholic. A place where you can go, get yourself a cheap bottle of whatever, sit in the doorway, crank the cap off that thing, because there are no torques involved at this point. Crack the cap on that thing, sit there and drink it in the doorway at 10 a.m. in the morning, and nobody is going to walk up to you and say, what the hell are you doing? You got the bottle, they're going to slide up and make nice. You know what I mean? It's what you do there. You drink. It's a nice place. Still comforts me. I don't know why. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, so I sat, you know, I sat in the back thinking, I don't know, you know, this guy. And he, and he did two things that blew my mind. He changed things for me. I got a God shot through another member of Alcoholics Anonymous. First time I was in there. He talked openly and honestly about his feelings as a man. And I'd never heard a man do that before. Where I come from, men talk about their genitals and their wallets. That's it. And they lie about both. <laughs> That's all. Ah, uh, yeah, the women are clapping. Listen to the women. Yeah, yeah. And this guy talked about his feelings. He talked about getting up in the morning and feeling like he wasn't enough. He wasn't worthy. He didn't know how to do things right. He's always been a loser. He's always going to be a loser. Head just chewing on him, right? As he took a shower, suited up, went to work, worked all day, went and got something to eat, went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous to be of service to the newcomers that were coming in the doors. There's a novel idea, huh? 
was doing that. Then he would go home, get in bed, thank God for another day, successful sobriety, pull the covers up to his head and go to sleep. No wreckage. With that kind of a head working, no wreckage. I thought that was amazing. Amazing that that could happen. Because there was no evidence of a life like that in my life. None. And then he said, and it was like, you know how you sit in a meeting, you know the guy's talking right at you? It was like he's just, it was just just boring into my head and he said and you know what if you don't like what I got I could care less whether you like what I got to say or not I love that God <laughs> knows what I mean I love that he said you don't like what I got go to another meeting I thought this is good I'm coming back here because it made it real clear to me this guy wasn't selling me something he was sharing it with me if I wanted it take it as mine if I didn't feel like I could use that Go to another meeting and listen to somebody. Maybe you can get something from them. And I thought, this is cool. I'm coming back. And I left that meeting with something I came in here without. When I got here, my family was dead. I had no friends. I had no place to live. I had no money. I had a box of clothes. I was dying of alcoholism and I was out of my mind. And worst of all, I was hopeless. I had no hope. I had no hope of it ever being anything different because I had tried. I was the boy wonder and I had tried everything that I could do and I was, it was nothing worked. Nothing worked. And here I was sitting in the back of a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, a completely destroyed human being, and I was hopeless. And I was sitting here and I'm thinking, if it's, this is the last stop. If it's not this, it's the grave. It's, or the mental institution where they got to feed me and they roll me out and get a little sun on me every now and then and roll me back in. The party's about over. And that guy gave me hope. So that little pilot light that was still flickering inside me sparked a little bit. And I said, I'm going to come back. And I waited a week. And one more week of insanity was no big deal to a guy like me. And I came back to that same meeting and I sat in that same seat in the back row. Oh, and in that first meeting... I remember sitting there and, and I got the first high, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic from another human being. And uh, I mean, all the guys with time in the room, you know what I mean? They saw me and they went, they knew who I was. They didn't come up on me at all. They just said, hey, coffee's over there, grab yourself a seat. All right, okay. <laughs> they didn't get real close, you know, but every meeting's got the new guy with like six, nine months who's just caught fire with Alcoholics Anonymous and he's going to give it away tonight, you know? <laughs> And he saw me, and he didn't see the subtle signals that were saying, you know, you come near me, and I will try to hurt you. <laughs> what he saw was new guy, right? And he came flying across the room at me, and he said, hi, I'm Vegas, I'm an alcoholic. And I said, so what? <laughs> me too. It ain't exactly the highlight of my life. I don't know what you're so thrilled about. Get away from me. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he gave me that big, that, that all-knowing member look, you know, that... That, you know, looked deep into my eyes and said, keep coming back. <laughs> a couple other guys kind of nodded knowingly over there. Yeah, he told him, didn't he, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, beautiful. There's obviously some deep spiritual significance to keep coming back. Everybody here knows what it is. I don't. You win. I'm the loser. I feel much better now. Thanks for the info. <laughs> I hated that. Keep coming back. They, just, they did that to me. Keep coming back. Just one day at a time, yeah, pal? Pal? Or my favorite, hey, turn it over, okay? <laughs> I have no idea what these people are saying to me. None. If you're new, let me make, it's just a suggestion, but the next time somebody comes up to you and says, hey, just turn it over. 
step up to the plate. Say, excuse me, I don't understand the deep spiritual significance of turn it over. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit for me so I can get a better grasp of what's going on here? Well, for my negative woods, if they're honest, about 70% of them say, I don't know what the hell it means. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, they, they've been saying it to me since I got here, so I'm just saying it to you, you know? There's a guy over there that reads the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Why don't we go ask him? Maybe he knows. But I couldn't ask, I couldn't admit to not knowing, feeling like a loser, feeling like, I, you know, telling them, you know, anything about my life. They found out who it was. They throw me away like my father had, and I, he knew me real well and threw me away. Why would you be any different? I mean, I just wasn't interested in getting close to anybody. And I came back the next week and the next week, and they said, get a sponsor. And I said, what's a sponsor? They said, somebody who's got what you want. And I said, you know, I think it's a little early to be throwing this back in my court. You know what I mean? <laughs> How about, you know, you know, you got any suggestions here? <laughs> you know? My goal for this evening is to find my way home from the meeting. I'm a mess. And i got to remember that. You know what I mean? you got to remember what it's like to be new. Because, I mean, I look at it, you, you know what I mean? I'm, in every meeting, you go to and everybody looks all polished and put together, and you ask them a question, and they give an answer that's got something to do with the question you just asked them. And, I mean, everybody's making sense, and everything looks good. You forget. I forget what it's like to be new walking into a meeting. It's insanity. You know what I mean? And they look fine. So you think, he looks fine, he's fine. And I do that with guys that I sponsor. I'll, think, I'll find that this guy Al's talking. Every time Al opens his mouth, it's just pearls of wisdom flying out of this guy's mouth. It's a beautiful thing. I sit there and soak it up. It's unbelievable. I'm 14 years sober, you know what I mean? And it took me all those 14 years to get to the point where I could understand a thing Al had to say. You know, it seemed like a lot of simplistic stuff, and then all of a sudden it got a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper, and I mean, I wasn't changing, and I was. You know what I mean? I was trying to catch up. And I'll get a guy nine months, and I'll say, listen, Al's talking. I'll pick you up. We'll go to the meeting. We'll have a great time. It'll be terrific. It goes great. So I go, and I pick up the guy with nine months, and we get in the car, and we go to the meeting, and we sit down in the front of the meeting, and Al's talking, and he's just doing it, man. I mean, it's an amazing... It's there. We're there. God is in the room. It is happening tonight, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, isn't this great? It's great. Well, only nine months of sobriety, he gets to sit here and hear this beautiful stuff coming out of Al's mouth, right? What I got to remember is he is not having the same meeting I am. That's a different meeting going on there. And I got to remember that. I got to remember. And the way I remember that is by remembering me. When I would go to meetings when I was new, I would go to Ohio Street just like Cahuenga. And I can remember pulling up to that, oh man, nuts, pulling up to Ohio Street and walking across the street, parking across the street, and walking across the street, those double doors, and walking in those double doors and thinking, okay, I'm at the meeting, I'm at the meeting, I'm at the meeting, it's good, I'm at the meeting, I'm at the meeting, I'm in the room, I'm in the room, there's people walking around, hi, how you doing, hi, 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 hi I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I gotta get a seat, I gotta get a seat, there's a seat, I gotta get a seat. How am I gonna remember where my seat is? Put the keys on the seat, they say, put the keys on the seat, I'll put the keys on the seat, find a, there's a guy with a red coat. Guy with a red coat, I'll sit next to the guy with a red coat, I can find the guy with the red coat, and find my seat, it's good, I got it, I got it. Put the keys on the thing, they're ringing a bell, they're ringing a bell. Do you hear the bell? Do you hear the bell? I hear the bell, good, okay. 
Everybody sitting down. We'll sit down. We'll sit down. We'll sit down. This guy up is talking. He's talking. He's reading. He's reading. He's rarely seen something. He's rarely seen. He's rarely seen. I don't know. What did he? He rarely saw. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He's he's twelve things. He's reading twelve things. There's twelve things. Twelve things. You got to remember that. There's twelve things in Alcoholics Anonymous. Twelve things in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's an A. There's a B. There's a C. That was good. And that was an A. There's a B. There's a C. That's good. That's good. He's down. He's down. I didn't get a lot of that, but he's down. He's down. Here's another guy. He's up. He's up. He's talking. He drank. I drank. He drank. I drank. He drank. I drank. That's good. That's good. That's good. This is good. I like this guy. I like this guy. He's down. Where did he go? He's down. They're passing a basket. They're passing a basket. Don't take the money. Don't take the money. (laughs) Don't take the money. Stay out of the money. The basket's fight. It's good. The basket's fight. It's good. It's good. They're up. They're up. He's talking. He's talking. He hit, he hit a thing. He hit a thing. Everybody's getting up. We're getting up. Where are we going? We're going outside. We're going outside. We smoke. They're smoking. I smoke. Oh, smoke. It's good. We'll smoke. I'm smoking. I'm smoking. They're ringing the bell again. They're ringing the bell. What the hell's with the bell? With the bell. I got up on my seat. I got up on my seat. Where the hell's the guy with the red coat? Red coat. Red coat. Where's the guy with the red coat? I can't find the guy with the red coat. I'm sitting over here. I'm, I'll just sit here. I'll sit here. Hey. It's not your seat. It's my seat. Sitting in the seat. Sitting in the seat. They're out there reading 12 more things. These aren't the same things as the other 12 things. It's a whole new 12 things. They got 24 things in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to remember that. There's 24. I missed it. It doesn't matter. I'll catch it later. Here's another guy. He's up. He's talking. He drank. He drank. I did that. I did that. I did that. This is good. I like this. This is good. I like it. He drank. It's good. It's good. He's down. He's down. I got a little bit out of that. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. We're up. We're up. They got me by the hands. Why are they? Oh, we're saying a prayer. We're saying a prayer. I know this prayer. I know this prayer. Say the prayer. Say the prayer. Say the prayer. Say the prayer. Go on. Yeah. Good night. Good night. No, I don't want to go to coffee. 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 No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. No. Um, and, 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 and the guy, guy you walk into the room, and the guy would say, "It was a great meeting, wasn't it?" Yeah, it's great. It's a great meeting. Wonderful meeting. Wonderful meeting. That's the first meeting in AA. <laughs> so I got to remember when I take this guy with nine months to a meeting. What he, so when I say to him, wasn't that a great meeting? He goes, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I know what he did. He got through a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. He didn't jump up and say, I can't do this, and run out of the room. He stayed in his chair. Oh, it's all, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I have more respect for a 30-day chip than any other event in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's an individual living in the state of grace. And one of the reasons I respect him is I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm not one of the guys that came in here and thought, hey, I need to be up there. I'm not one of those guys. I didn't open my mouth in Alcoholics Anonymous for two and a half years. I never took a chip. I didn't take a cake until I was three years sober. I didn't share in a meeting until I was two and a half. And the only reason I didn't did was because my sponsor said, do it or you'll drink. He knew not to complicate it. He knew not to get real involved in the explanation as to why he should open my mouth. He just said, he would always say to me, do it or drink. I mean, he knew what he was doing. My sponsor was a guy named Donald M. Um, the only sponsor I ever had up until for 13 years and nine months until the day he died uh, last year. And uh, it was the hardest thing I ever experienced in my life, losing him. Uh, I was with him long enough with my parents. You know what I mean? He was the guy, he was Alcoholics Anonymous to me. He was the guy that came, he, God came to me through, through Donald Madden. He's the guy that saved my life. He's the guy that was Alcoholics Anonymous to me. He was the one human being on the face of the earth I trusted for the first two and a half years I was here. 
And he was the guy that said, when I asked him to sponsor me, he said, you don't have to like what I tell you, and you don't have to think it's a good idea. You just have to do it. <laughs> and I said, I can work with that. You know, we went to our, I can work with that. I can see myself dancing around that pretty good. You know what I mean? And we went to a meeting together, and he said, they make 550 cups of coffee here every Friday night. You're going to make them for the next year. To the hell I am. I don't even know these people. You don't. You obviously don't understand the nature of my problem here, man. I'm going nuts. I am crazy all the time. I'm liable to kill myself or everybody in this room at any moment. It's it's just nip and go. You see, we never know what's going to happen. It could happen at any moment. It's, you don't understand. I'm crazy, man. I'm crazy. I need some help over here, and I'm about to lose my mind. And your response to me is, let me see if I got this right. Make a little coffee. <laughs> you obviously don't understand the nature. You don't understand how severe this is, what we're dealing with. And I mean, and he just looked at me. I mean, it was an unbelievable man. And, and he could have said to me, listen, Earl, you're one of the most self-centered, frightened human beings I've ever met in my life. You've never thought about anybody but yourself your entire life. And that's one of the gifts we're going to give you here. There are a lot of spiritual principles of Alcoholics Anonymous are afloat in these rooms. And we don't give you the job to make the coffee because you're the new guy. You're the grunt. We give it to you because you need it more than anybody else. What we're going to give you is one of the greatest gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're going to get to manifest one of the greatest spiritual principles afoot here. You're going to get to be of service. You're going to get out of self. You're going to get out of self. You're going to think about them and their miserable coffee for four and a half hours every Friday night. And you're not going to be thinking about you. That's going to take you out of self. And when you come back to you, your perspective will be a little broader. Your eyes will be a little clearer. And you'll have a better idea of what's really going on here. Because at the moment, you got none. He could have said that to me and I'd have gone... Excuse me? <laughs> so he said, do it or drink. I understood that. I said, all right. So I made the coffee, and I felt better every Friday night. I, it took us like six months before I put it together. Coffee, better. Coffee, better. I, I didn't, you know what I mean? It was just all spinning around in my head. I remember standing in the back of Ohio Street with two and a half years of sobriety. Donald was the secretary. I was doing the cleanup. Another guy he sponsored was the greeter. Another guy was the treasurer. We just, we had this meeting going, right? And it was on Saturday night. And we were in the room, and I was standing in the back of the room, and I was one more time just caving in on myself. I was just going in. I'm miserable. I'm never going to make it. I can't make it. I can't do this. This is crazy. This is awful. I can't do it. I don't know how these people do it. I must be different than them because I can't do it. It's over. I can't. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Just going in, right? And the, and the main speaker was just up at the podium talking away. Donald got up and he walked up to the podium and interrupted the speaker. Unbeknownst to me, I'm just back there caving in. And everybody's wondering what the hell's going on. And the speaker steps aside and Donald steps up to the microphone and he goes, Oh! And I'm in the back of the room, and I just kind of like, <laughs> what? And he looked, and he goes, we're having a meeting. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, thank you. I'm with you again. Good. I'm having a meeting. We're having a meeting. And then stepped aside, and the speaker just went back on about what he's doing, you know. And I never talked to anybody in AA, you know what I mean? So the guys, you know, the people go, who the hell's Earl? What the hell's going on? <laughs> I think he's that lost guy back in the back there. And I sat in meetings and I learned a lot. I mean, the first time I ever in my mouth was in the Wednesday night 
uh, uh, candlelight meeting of the Tri-Guide group in Culver City. And I sat in a meeting, and the circle came around, and I was sitting there, and I was bobbing like a parrot because my stomach muscles were contracting. I was so frightened, and I was just sitting there. And I picked that meeting to do it because he told me to do it, and I picked that meeting. There's a guy here tonight from there I hadn't seen in 12 years, and I saw him yesterday. And I hear Bob. And uh, I picked it because it was candlelight, and I didn't think anybody would be able to see me. And the first thing I ever, the first thing I ever said in Alcoholics Anonymous was, Hi, my name's Nolan Alcoholic. Um, I got a place to live, and, and I got a job, and things are going pretty good, thanks. <laughs> big breakthrough for a guy like me. It's a big moment. I left that meeting thinking, I did it. I did it. You know what I mean? It'll never be any worse than that. It was a few times. But <laughs> and I stayed. And I was going to seven to nine meetings a week, and I was calling my sponsor every day. And I was not, when they'd ask me to pick up a newcomer, I'd pick up a newcomer. I wasn't a very nice person. I mean, I'd pick up, you know, Ed with five days on the corner of, you know, wherever. And he'd get in the car, and I'd have like, you know, two years, and I'd be driving, you know, in my little wreck. You know, I'm driving my wreck to the meeting. Um, and Ed would go, well, hi, how you doing? You know, I got six days, you know what I mean? I got a job, things are going pretty well with Dad, you know? And I'm, and I'm just like, shut up, Ed. <laughs> I hate Ed. Ed's got six days and he's already better at this than I am. I hate this guy. <laughs> oh. I got to take you to the meeting and if you want me to, I'll take you back, but I don't got to listen to you, Ed. Yeah, I was a good example of Alcoholics Anonymous when I was new. Oh, man. Um, and I stayed, and I did all the things I said to do, and I got five years, and I was taking out two panels every month, and I was speaking when I was asked to speak, and I had several commitments, and still with the seven and nine meetings a week, and calling my sponsor every day, and I'm actually sponsoring a few guys. I mean, and I'm just, I'm in it, man. I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I, I got a job, and a job turned into a real good job, and a real good job turned into a career. And, I, you know, my ducks were getting lined up pretty good out here, and I was going nuts. And I got six and a half years of sobriety, and I was nuts. And I went to an old timer, and I said, what's the rub, man? I don't get it. And I ran down my stuff I'm doing, and he looked at me and said, Earl, we saw you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and we suggest you get a program. If you don't, you're probably going to die. Go away. <laughs> I said, hey, excuse me, I got a program, seven or nine meetings a week, calling the sponsor, going to the meetings, doing the, doing the commitments, doing the panels, I'm doing the speaking, sponsoring the guys, what do you mean? He goes, Earl, it's a fellowship, lovely thing, vitally a recovery, glad you got it. But the program that's found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I suggest you read it, because if you don't, you're going to die, go away. <laughs> All right, old bastard, fine. <laughs> If you're new, man, watch these people was the time, you know what I mean? Because they, won't, they don't play, you know what I mean? They just come right up to you, bang, hit you with the truth right between the eyes and keep moving. They are not interested in as Earl sees it, you know what I mean? <laughs> just fill in your own name, they don't care, you know what I mean? It's just, there was a guy who wouldn't even say goodnight to me at meetings until I had 10 years. I mean, it was like, I loved the guy, it was a blast. I mean, a friend of mine, you know, we used to, every night we'd say, goodnight, Mike! And Mike, he'd be walking away, and he'd turn around to think of somebody he knew was saying goodnight to him, and he'd turn around and he'd go, <laughs> he'd walk away. We weren't even worth saying goodnight to. Oh, man, we loved that guy. I loved that guy. He was the guy that straightened me out on the fourth step. I was sitting in a meeting, of step study, and they were talking about the fourth step. And I'm sitting there going, I have no, you know, beats me. First guy said, well, the fourth step to me is, 
And I thought, well, that's pretty good. You know? Wish I had a pen and some paper. I'd write that down. <laughs> Next guy stared, well, the horse said to me is bup, 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 bup. It's a completely different thing. But, oh, man, there's two ways to do this, you know. <laughs> third guy, third way, fourth guy, fourth way. I'm sinking into a deep depression. It's getting way too involved. All of a sudden, this big old paw goes up in the back. Same guy, Mike R. The guy's nodding up here. Mike R. And he holds up the big book of alcohol. He says, Mike Alcoholic! Has anybody in here read this? <laughs> and they talked about the fourth step. And I just remember sitting there thinking, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it was only years later I was able to walk up to him and say, you saved me one night. You saved me. And there's so many people that have saved me night after night after night as I sat there quietly losing my mind. As I sat there watching the hope slip away watching the dreams slip away, watching my life slip away with them. I knew it because I'm the guy that swore on a mountain in Mexico I'd never love another human being as long as I lived, and I would never, ever tell anybody who I am. There's no way you're going to love me. I'm out of the game. I'm not playing. I'll be in this Alcoholics Anonymous thing, but I'm here because I don't want to drink and I don't want to die. But I'm not interested in getting to know you. I'm not interested in loving you. I don't want to care about you because caring about you hurts too much. I can't. Do it. And it's not based on, you know, it's not based on some irrational fear. It's based on my experience, man. I can't do it. And you robbed me of all those ideas. When I wasn't looking, you picked my pocket. When I wasn't looking, you robbed me of my anger. When I wasn't looking, you were chipping away at my fear. You were easing these things off of me, off of me as you gave me a way to live. You told me it was about staying sober, and that's all Alcoholics Anonymous was about. And I always believed that. I mean, I heard people right from the beginning, I knew this is about staying sober. People would say Alcoholics Anonymous is love. Alcoholics Anonymous is forgiveness. Alcoholics Anonymous is acceptance. And they would say all these things, and I was thinking, uh-uh, it's about staying sober. Now, if a guy like me is going to stay sober, I'm going to have to engage in certain activities. The steps are a pretty good example of those activities. And if I'm going to do that stuff, I'm going to, if I do that, as it's written in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm going to bump into a lot of love, and I'm going to bump into a lot of forgiveness, and a lot of hope, and a lot of faith, and all those things that they told me. Alcohol, it's about staying sober, but if I'm going to stay sober, I've got to run into all this other stuff. It all comes under staying sober for me. I've got to be clear of purpose. So when Mike said, read the book, that's what me and a buddy of mine did. We got the book, and we ran through it. And that's what we found out right up there. Recovery, unity, and service. It's right in the books. That's, that symbol, that's that, that triangle that we used to have with the circle around it, you know? It's on bumpers and jewelry and all kinds of stuff now. <laughs> Ancient spiritual symbol. It stands for mind, body, and spirit brought together as a whole human being. And that's the balance that I was seeking and had never had drunk or sober. Alcoholics Anonymous adopted the symbol means the same thing. The unity is the body. I've got to bring it here. I've got to be with you because I can't get sober. But we can Recoveries of the mind, I've got to work the steps as they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to recover mentally the greater aspect of my disease, to relieve me of the obsession to drink again. It says in the book that the persistence of this illusion, this belief in a lie that I can drink like the normal individual is astonishing that many of us pursue it to the gates of insanity and death. I've been there. Don't want to go back. So I work the steps. Step one is what's the problem? Lack of power is my dilemma. Lack of power. I'm powerless over this thing. And it may be normal in every other area. Maybe. I'm not, but you may be. <laughs> but that's my problem. I drink. The whole thing unravels. 
And I, and I reintroduce the physical phenomenon of craving, and I've lost the power to choose. Now, can I believe that lack of power is my problem? Yes. Well, what's the solution to that? A power greater than me, step two, that could restore me to sanity, soundness of mind, relieve me of the obsession to drink. I think that's the biggest deal in the whole book, that that could happen to a guy like me. They said, well, knowing that's not going to do anything for you, because you can know that down at the bar. You better make a decision to do something about it because this is a program of action. So I got down on my knees. I said the third step prayer. I turned my will and my life over to the care of God. Oh, that's what you turn over. I didn't know that. And I got up and embarked upon a plan of action that was going to bring the solution in step two about in my life. So it was four through nine. So I did the four-column inventory on resentment, fear, and sex. I read it before God to another human being. I hooked things back up with God in six and seven, asking him to remove the defects of character because I'll remove the wrong stuff. Left it to him. Kept moving. A lot of work in the book on eight and nine, very specific, because they're going to let me near other people now, and they know that can be dangerous. <laughs> so they did step, we did steps eight and nine, and I went out in the community, and I said, I'm very, very sorry. Here's your money. And I went back in the house. I didn't get into a big story about what I was doing and what was up, and you really ought to like me now, because I'm man, irrelevant. I'm sorry. Here's your money. Back in the house. And then I had 10, 11, and 12 to keep me in the game. 10 is me, 11 is God, and 12 is you, and there ain't nobody else to play with. And by that time, I'd been hooked back up with God, and I'd been hooked back up with you without even knowing that's what was going on. Because if I'd have known that's what was going on, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. But I knew what was going on. I didn't know. All this stuff was getting pushed out of the way between me and you and me and God that I had put there. And it was clearing the path again for me to connect with you and me to connect with God. And ten, they said, listen, Earl, let's review. Before we let you out there trying to act like you got something to give to another alcoholic, let's review this. Ten is you've got to keep your side of the street clean. That's what you've got to focus on. When you're wrong, you need to promptly admit it because we know you'll wait till August. <laughs> and you'll fester with resentment, and it's a mess. And we don't want to get anywhere near that. So just keep your side of the street clean. Eleven is really, you need to seek God. That's your relationship with God. The action's on you. You seek God. You don't stand there waiting for God to come to you. You start working. How do you seek God? Through prayer and meditation. What do you pray for? Knowledge of his will for you and the power to carry that out. Why do you meditate? So to quiet the mind so that when the answers come, I can hear them. And the third side of the triangle is that unity is the... This, recovery, this, service, this. The spiritual aspect of the program. Twelve step, having had a spiritual awakening is the result of the steps. That was the whole point. That's why I was there. Now what I need to do is I need to practice these principles in all my affairs and carry carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. That's what I need to do. But I can't give away something I haven't done, so I gotta do the work so that when the guy walks in the room with the tombstones in his eyes. Look at that scared dog in the, on the freeway looking on his face and says, I feel like using. Do you know how to stay sober? I can look him right in the eye and say, yeah, they taught me how to do that here. I'd be happy to show you. Not because I'm a good guy, but because I want to stay sober. That's why. I work with guys I don't like at all. <laughs> I want nothing they got. Nothing. Whining, suffering, oh. perfect for me. I want the guy, I want the sick ones. I love the sick ones. They, I don't have to ask for them either. I talk, here they come. He's crazy. He'll get it. And they come at me. 
And I sponsor a whole lot of guys. And it's great because when, when it hits the fan for me and I'm crazy, I know what to do because you told me because I watched you do it. I get crazy and get on the phone. Nina, how you doing? Great? Wrong guy. Click. <laughs> Britton, how you doing? Pretty good? Good to see you. Click. Cliff, how are you? Crazy, huh? Talk to me. <laughs> and it works. 20 minutes later, I don't know whether Cliff feels any better or not, but I sure as hell do. Because I got out of Earl. It's not easy being me. This has been a tough job the whole way. It's been a crazy, it's been a crazy, crazy life. Fact of the matter is, is that I did the work in the book and it changed my life in a fundamental way. I had a spiritual awakening as a result of being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and working the 12 steps as outlined in the book. My life's been different since then. I'm 14 years sober now. I'm loving and being loved. I believe in a loving God that cares deeply for me. I've got things in my life that I knew I could never, ever have. I have wonderful friends. I care deeply about the things that I do in my life. I'm, I, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just exploded in every area. You know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm an incredibly wealthy guy. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about the stuff, the stuff out here. I'm talking about that I'm pretty comfortable standing where I'm standing and doing what I'm doing with the people I'm doing it with. And I haven't had a drink or anything else in my body all day long. It's, a, it's, an, it's an incredible experience to be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and to get the buzz that is available living a spiritual life and doing the best I can. I mean, I screw up all the time. I screw it up all the time. But that way I know I'm in the game. If I'm getting it right all day long every day, I'm not, I'm not out there in it, man. I mean, you've got to get out there and mix it up and grab at life and try this. And I have failed my way to success in several areas of my life. And i got a lot of problems, you know what I mean? i got a lot of problems in different areas of my life. But the fact of the matter is i got problems in areas where I didn't even used to have areas. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's looking up. Here's the deal. I'm a dead man. I'm a hopeless, dope fiend alcoholic, and I'm a dead man. There's no way I can be on the planet. There's no way I can be living a rich and happy life. There's no way that I can care enough about people so that when they pass on, I have to grieve. There's no, and there's no way I can deal with those feelings when they come. There's an absolutely no way I can get on an airplane and fly to Minneapolis, Minnesota, so that I can terrify myself getting up in front of 5,410 people. 5,810 people. So that I can then get back on another plane and fly through the sky. I mean, I, I mean it doesn't terrify me. That terrifies me beyond, beyond words. It's not, and it's based on my experience. I've crashed. I mean, I, it scares me to death. I'll get on a plane for one reason. This. Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I got a life now. And I got you, and I can walk into a room. 
and I can get up and do the things I knew I could never do. You know what I mean? And I can attempt to be a service in my small way. And if one person got a boost out of this, it was all worth it. It's all worth it. That a friend, of my, a friend of mine came with me on the trip, and we've had a great time. We've met new people. We've driven around in your city. We've eaten your food. We've talked with you. We've shared stories. And more than anything else, we've shared experience, strength, and hope with each other. See, there's a lot of paths to God out there. There's a lot of them. And I've read about a lot of them, which is all you can do with a lot of them. I mean, I've read them. I've read the Mustard Seed and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the Way of the Peaceful Warrior and the Sermon on the Mount. I've read all this stuff. Beautiful stuff. Valuable, righteous stuff. Paths to God. Out of self. Move towards God. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. But this is where it's at for me. And if you be a drunk, this is where it's at, man, because this is about one alcoholic gets down in the dirt with another alcoholic, both of them dead people. And, that, and they, ride, they share their experience, strength, and hope, and rise up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I know about that place. I know that I'm sitting in a room with 5,810 dead people sitting upright looking at me. That's who we are. If you're new, grab a hold of this thing and get into every little tiny piece of this you can. Think of this thing like a big bag of dope or a big case of booze. Think of it like that. And if you're anything like me, you've never in your life said, no, thank you, I've had enough. You've never said it. And you never left until it was all gone. Don't leave here till it's all gone. Use it all up. Challenge everything. Question what's going on here. Chew on this thing. Come back night after night after night and chew on this thing and find out what's happening here. We're not going to ask you to have faith in Alcoholics Anonymous. You can't have faith in something you have no experience with whatsoever. We can't ask you to do that. We can't ask you to make a conscious decision to trust that we're not lying. That we're not lying. So you make that decision and then you just move forward. You take one step, then you take the next step, then you take the next step. Sooner or later, could be three weeks, could be three months, could be whatever. You turn around and look back in your own life and you're going to see that your life got better. You will see that your life has gotten better. That's your experience and you can have faith in that. But faith without works is dead. You've got to turn around and keep moving with the rest of us. That's how this thing has grown to the level it has. That's how come I can come into a room like this and sit down with people that have come before me that are in these meetings. And they give me hope just by being here. Just by being here. And, they, and because they give me hope, I'm here. And you come in with a little less time than me and you're here. And so on and so on and so on. And we're going to change the whole show doing that. Peace. I wish you peace. Peace.